Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, episode 69. My name is Alina Warwick, and today we have Richard Mensa on the show. But before we continue with this episode, if you are listening to the show and it brings you value, please be sure to share some love by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We've been fully bootstrapped up to this point. Yeah, I mean, bootstrapped by bootstrap, I mean, we've not really spent any outside capital. We haven't actually spent anything on marketing zero dollars in marketing uh-huh. and yeah we've sort of like organically had a lot of people interested in what we're building because they can see the huge potential and has going to like change things Richard initially wanted to learn the aerospace field, but when he applied to college, he applied to study aerospace in one college and computer science in another college in Ghana. The one that he got into was computer science. So when he got to college to study computer science, he fell in love with it. Richard started his very first startup at 18 years old while in Ghana. Although the first three startups didn't work out for whatever reason, when he came to study for his master's degree in the States, he launched his fourth startup, LSX. You guys, Richard is still fairly young. He's only 25 years old. LSX is an amazing platform that brings founders and podcasters directly with media folks to get attention and media coverage. In short, it's a marketing platform that matches early stage startups with media and event organizers. LSX is reinventing the way marketing is working. These days, there's so many social media platforms that are constantly bombarding us with ads and we don't even know where to turn to anymore. But with LSX, the platform is so specific, easy to use without any distractions and gives you direct connection to get media coverage. So let's dive right in and hear all about this young immigrant entrepreneurs journey. All right, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate your time and I'm so, so honored to share your story. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alina. How's your day going? It's good. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. So let's talk about your immigrant journey. Tell us where you're from and when did you come to the United States? So I'm originally from Ghana. I moved to the U.S. I mean, not for the first time, but I came to the U.S. in back in 2016 for summer work and travel. But I came back again in 2018 in August for like a master's program after graduating my undergrad. So that's how I came to the U.S. from Ghana. Ghana is really a really cool country. I don't know how many people have been to Ghana, but I'm excited to tell you more about the country and how it's been helpful to my upbringing so far. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Ghana. What was it like growing up in Ghana? It's interesting. I mean, one word I'll give for the country is more like it's very homey and friendly. Most Ghanaians are very hospitable and like to meet people from outside. Growing up, I grew up in like a city in Ghana, the capital city in Ghana. But one of the main advantages to growing up in the city is that you get to experience what life looks like in the city. And I actually got to meet a lot of startup folks there, a number of startup founders in Ghana who are trying to like build different things. But again, it's it's like the only skill at which you can grow and the speed at which you can grow as a startup in Ghana was in relatively quite not as fast as in the US. So, but then again, I actually started a number of like startups back in Ghana, right? So I did computer science. <laughs> I actually wanted to do aerospace engineering in the beginning, right? So like, wow. 
where we live, we used to live by like a landing zone of a plane. So we always saw like planes going to the runway to go and land. And I'm like, I think that's what got me interested in engineering in the first place. So I'm like, okay, so cool. These planes are so big and how are they exactly flying? And I'm like smaller than them and I'm not able to fly. Like, how's that impossible? So I think that was sort of like the insight or like the question that came to mind when I was like three years old. And since then, I've always been like <laughs> trying to like figure out things like okay so how is this tv working how is this toy car working stuff like that and it led me to doing a lot of stuff related to engineering and physics and doing computer science which excites me about being able to build software that sort of like scales and increases impact around the world which is something i'm excited about and i can't wait to do every single day okay so growing up you wanted to be in the aerospace field so how did that change I applied to college for aerospace engineering. I mean, there are two, I mean, primary universities in Ghana that are quite huge. There's the University of Ghana, which I went to, and there's another university, Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, which is is in the middle of the country. But basically, I applied for aerospace engineering and the further university, and I applied for computer science in the one that was relatively close to home. I mean, I was hoping to get into aerospace engineering, but I actually got computer science relatively close to home. So pretty much I had all these universities applied for where I had computer science to do. The way the system works in Ghana is that you don't actually go to college and figure out what you want to do next. You actually have to choose your major and your minors like before you actually get into college. Yeah, so it's quite different from what it is in the U.S. But basically, I chose computer science as a alternative. But actually, once I started doing the classes, I actually fell in love with it. And I literally, every single day, just kept going. I think I had my first laptop. I think that was when I went to college because I, I didn't have a laptop before. We had like a huge desktop in, the, in like the, my apartment or like the home. But yeah, we're just using it for games and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and break, breaking it apart and all that. <laughs> yeah. So that's awesome. You tried something completely different and you absolutely fell in love with that. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, they're quite related, right? Because they're all engineering. One of them has to do with more physics and how aerodynamics and fluidity and drag and lift and all that works. And one is, has to do with software, how computers interpret, I mean, zeros and ones to be able to come up with meaningful actions. You can program them to do what you want. So it's, in my mind, they're also like similar. I mean, they're not the same engineering, but yeah, they're, they're still the first principles thinking. They're still like logic based and using math and physics to actually come up with really good um, outcomes. So yeah, I'm, I was just looking forward to experience it. But I haven't given up my ambitions for planes, though. I'm still a really huge fan of planes. <laughs> yeah, when That's I, when awesome. I see planes, it's true. Like every time I'm going to fly or I see a plane flying, I'm super excited about it. I don't know why. It's just been a thing from like when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe one day. I don't know. You never know, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe one day I'll probably have the chance to learn how to fly. Because I actually learned how to fly on like a simulator, right? So there's this thing called Microsoft Fly Simulator X. And yeah. Yeah. So I learned how to fly on that. I was able to do a couple of landings. I think around 100 landings and all takeoffs and all that stuff, like using the cockpit deal and all that stuff. So I was excited about it to the point I learned most of the stuff virtually on that. But again, I haven't really experienced what it feels like to actually fly a real plane. So <laughs> that is interesting. So tell me, what did your parents do growing up? Were they entrepreneurs as well? Not necessarily. So my mom used to be a teacher and she decided to quit that to focus on us, the kids, because someone had to stay home and she mm-hmm. was, she did that. I was super excited about that. She actually did something really cool. So doing that, she actually spent the time learning a bit about entrepreneurship. Then she went to business school. Then she started her own sort of like hospitality business and trying to like, more like guest houses and ways to 
I mean, she likes hotels and beautiful places, like interior decoration. So, like, she started uh-huh. something in that space. And, yeah, so that was my first glimpse at entrepreneurship. Because I saw the process where she had to start from the beginning of trying to put the whole idea together and trying to get a place and all the regulatory stuff she had to go through and everything mm-hmm. she had to go through before she actually finally made it. And after even making it, the whole marketing that went into it, like, the, how she differentiated from the competition. There were so many things that she did that gave me a first understanding. And she actually made me read a book. I mean, the first entrepreneurship-related book was Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was more like Robert Kiyosaki um, yes. talking about as- assets, liabilities, and yes. like other things like that. So I think that was the first main entrepreneurship book I read. And since then, I just saw, like deep dive in so many other books, like Zero to One and Lean Startup, love them. But that was my mom. She was, she's more the entrepreneurial one from what I can gather. But my dad also worked in IT. So that was, I mean, we had computers in the family already. And so like, so I'm always trying to like put things together, like go to work and solve problems that came up. And I thought that was really inspiring because he was super excited about work every time he had to go and solve something because he could just see that he's excited about always going to work and solving something with computers. And I, I could just um, feel that also within me at the point because, um, I mean, there's no, I mean, the computers are fun, but it's like, once you get to do it every day and actually know the impact of your work, that's when it becomes a lot more meaningful. And I, I think he had mm-hmm. a lot of meaning. He has a lot of meaning when it comes to computers and tech. So growing up, did you know that you were going to live in the United States? No, nope. no idea. <laughs> so that was never part of the plan? Nope. I mean, I thought the U.S. was a cool country. I'm like, okay, I'll probably come visit. I think we used to watch a number of U.S. movies and I mean, U.S. exposed their culture from Hollywood. So people are usually used to their culture. But I never really saw myself living in the U.S. or like moving to the U.S. I, I always saw something like I wanted to visit and see what it feels like. So yeah. I think in 2016, when I had the chance to come do the summer work and travel, I was excited. I got to meet people from other countries and I got to experience the U.S. I think I went to New York and Ohio. And that was quite interesting. I think that was, that was sort of like a turning point in the way I saw things because it also gave me that international perspective because, I mean, when I was growing up, I pretty much lived my whole life in Ghana and you get to see things from the Ghanaian point of view. But once you mm-hmm. get exposed to other cultures and other points of view, you're like, oh, okay, so, I mean, this is how we do it in Ghana, but there are so many other people in the world who actually see things differently. So you might as well just try to like understand different point of view and try to synthesize all those point of views to be able to create we are trying to create like a tech solution we want to create something that's actually going to help people not just in well people who you know who people who are around you but people who are so sort of like around the world too because again tech the good thing about tech it doesn't just benefit like it's not location based right so it's not like limited by the location you're existing it's once you create right. something that is meaningful it can scale to the different countries and you have to think of all those possibilities Okay, so tell me what was that journey like for you? If you never imagined to live in the United States, you came out here first to do the summer internship or the, the program for a couple of months, right? Yeah. And then you went back, and then what happened next? Okay, so at that time, I went back and I went to, funny enough, do a startup again. So I had done a startup before that, and I had left that one, and I went to the U.S. and came back and did another startup again. Because, again, I, I was always going back to startups for a reason. Because, again, that, that was my only way of sort of, like, creating impact. Because, again, you could only scream as loud as you want, but if you're not creating something meaningful that changes things, it's just like, okay, you're just going to keep screaming and trying to change something, but it cannot be changed. So I went back to create another startup in the a media space, ad tech actually. So it was an app that pretty much connected, helped brands, more like in the AR space. So it was like an like a Pokemon Go for ads. So instead of actually looking for Pokemon, you're actually looking for 
ads in the real world and the way it worked was that once you found like three different ads or like more based on the brand how they set it up you could actually pick those ones and go redeem like a price for finding ads in the real world instead of having to just scroll on twitter and stuff where you get to see ads and you don't really care about this time you actually have to be involved in the ads <laughs> um, uh-huh. it was quite funny so that one started we got a couple of interest from companies but then we had to table that because ar wasn't really a thing there it's still not a thing if you think about it now because people it's not really adopted yet if you think about timing as it stands now a lot of people don't really use augmented reality as people think probably tabled it for later then after that i did i finished school i graduated first class honors, I mean, won a couple of awards and stuff and in computer science. Then I decided to do another startup again. So this is after <laughs> school in Ghana? Yeah, this is after school. So I was sort okay. of like doing teaching um, in Ghana. Once you finish school, you're supposed to, like college, you're supposed to do this thing called like a national service, right? So it's where you spend a year doing something that is going to be beneficial for the country. So I was more like a teaching assistant for computer science in my university. I was helping students during that time. And that time too, I was also like, I started like a startup in the HR space, connect students to people who knew how to like write CVs and stuff so they can actually help tailor their CVs and their cover letters and be able to get jobs like in Ghana and across the world, right? So we called it more like, we called it career advice as a service. So it was a difference of like type of industry we're trying to create. But yeah, we got traction on there too. But then after a point, we had a few issues with adoption. We had like a co-founder who was had to go on because of family issues. And we we're like, okay, yeah, because it's too much. And we also didn't have the contacts we needed to sort of like skill it and get people to be more aware of what we're doing. The only way we could see our way getting out of that was either if we had like a lot of money that we could be on paid ads, which we didn't have a lot of money. And mm-hmm. also like if we had to network our way to find the right people to help us spread the word, which was almost, I mean, impossible <laughs> unless you go to like <laughs> ton of network, ton of networking events for like the next year or two, hopefully. And it's very random too, right? You can't really tell who you're going to meet. So <laughs> That was the second startup. That was like the third one. Oh, that was the third one. Yeah. What was the first one? The first one was called Swiper, and it was more like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in one app. So basically the idea, that was back in 2015. So the idea was that back then, mobile devices have really small memories. They didn't have a lot of space on their phones. And these apps were sort of like consuming a lot of memory at that time. So we created like a WebView app um, on Android that you could have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in that particular app, and you could just be swiping between them. So instead of having to download all those three apps, you just download the Swiper and swipe between the web views of all those apps. That got a bit of traction. We got a, like an investor come in, but then we didn't like the outcome and we had to stop that. So how old were you when you launched your first startup? Because you're still pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how was I? I was 18. 18? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing to have such passion and drive. Although, you know, you opened a couple of startups and you shut them down for whatever reason and you still kept on going. So that is so, so amazing to see that, you know, perseverance and pushing forward, you can still make it happen. Although, you know, first startup didn't work out, keep on going. So let's hear about your fourth startup. Oh, this one, LSX. Okay, so I think this one is sort of like directly related to all the previous startup experience I had, right? So one of the main problems as a startup when you're starting is you start a product, you have a service, you have initial users, you have people who use it Mm -hmm. from who you know and people who like the idea and people within communities. But the question was, communities already exist in. So pretty much how how do you scale that like what you're working on so more people can actually hear about it without spending a ton of money on paid ads and also having all the right connections already in place. 
So that is, so like based on all those experiences from the previous startup, just like, okay, that, and not just from those experiences themselves, so I'm talking to a number of startup founders back in Ghana, in Boston, in San Francisco, like all over, like the, one of the main problems for tech startups right now is not really about building a cool product. It's more like, okay, so even if I build the best product in the world, how do I get a lot of people to hear about the fact that my product exists in the first place? Because right, you can have the right. best product, but then if no one knows about it, you have not done anything because no one right. actually knows about it. <laughs> it's going to be a waste. <laughs> exactly. So like right. that, that is the hardest part. And right now attention is really hard to get because again, right now so many people are being bombarded with ads and there's so much noise everywhere. So that is, I mean, it's directly tied to what we're trying to build right now. We call it LSX and we call what we're trying to build authentic marketing where we connect startup teams directly with media and event people who are willing to spread the word who are talking about something that is related to what you're doing so instead of connecting with people or trying to like tap into a network of people you already know to help spread the word or like pay ads you just come on lsx and you have an opportunity to see a number of writers podcasters and event people who are looking for content and who are writing something who are interested in your particular space and you can actually help contribute your content and sort of like create a symbiotic relationship between writers who are looking for content and slash like all the content creators and content people slash people who have content are willing to share it and increase their brand awareness so that's how we're seeing it and we think that is going to be the future in the next few years because as it stands now um, paid ads are good but then a lot of people are not really sort of like paying attention to them anymore because right now we are so used to ads that we are easily able to skip over them and we don't even actually actively think about skipping over them you're just scrolling twitter you're scrolling linkedin and you see an ad you just like yeah just pass by you're watching youtube and you see an ad you're like can you just like please hurry up so I can get to the next thing. And yeah. it doesn't really, yeah. And it's not, it's not because of the fact that these ads are not like, okay, I mean, there's a problem with targeting if you think about it, but it's not like they're not super targeted, but I think it's intent. You can't really put an ad and sort of like, if the person does not need what you need, what you are selling at a particular time, the ad is pointless. And I think that's something most people haven't really realized. They think once you they see the ad, it's like, oh, me, the person would want to tell them in the same moment, but it's more like, no, you need to create marketing, do marketing channels such a way that once people are looking for what you're looking for or they're listening to things related to your space, you alone comes up because of the fact that you're actively interested in that space already. So how did you come up with this idea? You came out to study computer science, right? So how did you come up with this idea? It was just during school? No, so I studied computer science in Ghana. I came to the U.S. to study a master's in business because I figured, okay, so I know how to code and all that stuff, but then it's not really about learning to code or building the best products. It's more about how do I get figure out the business part of things. And I had no okay. business background then. So I came to the U.S. to Hull Business School where I did a master's in international business and disruptive innovation because I, I like those two. Disruptive um, innovation. That sounds yeah. really cool. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, it, it, let's disrupt some economies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's create things that are new. Let's make a difference. Let's actually make things that work for everybody. Let's not just keep what exists because of the fact that it already exists. We're just trying to make it look nicer, make it faster, better, cheaper. Right. No, it's, it's not about keeping what exists and making it faster, better cheaper is about that's what exists if it makes sense in the first place it's like going from a horse to a car like you we don't want to be trying to optimize the horse to move faster you want to actually create a new platform that helps you like build a car so i can move faster or build a plane like i'm going to build a plane from a car like would you have planes that look like cars and like like you need to actually it gets to point in setting times in innovation where you have to stop whatever exists and actually rethink to see whether it actually makes sense for the long run and that is exactly what we're doing with marketing we're looking at marketing fundamentally to see okay 
we have marketing, we have, we have people who like have their own media. So they have their own blogs and their own channels and their own podcasts. And we have people who actually paid so much marketing dollars for sort of like ads and stuff like that. And again, they're trying to optimize that and trying to see if they can get more um, impressions or more clicks per Mm-hmm. per ad so they try to optimize that but then there's also this middle ground of people who who get a lot of earned media for example you get written about in podcast you get written about in articles you get you get go on so many podcasts but people don't really consider that as marketing but they think it's, it's just like a murky space and we feel like okay so that's a very ripe space we have to sort of like get into and actually make it more legitimate now so people have a lot more options instead of just those two options that are not really good for every kind of startup out there got it got it okay so you were in school and then what happened so I was in school, I went for a conference, right? So based on my previous startups, I went for a conference in Boston where I met my co-founder, Leia. Um, so she has also seen the problem from a different angle, right? So she used to be a content creator herself. She used to write a blog about startups and she also had a really hard time coming up with content right every week because she was writing about setting companies, but then she had to literally meet them in real life. And like, if you don't have a lot of networks and all that, you can't really tap into that too. But it's not really about a network problem. The problem is that you're pretty much limited as a creator by who you know. I mean, I don't know if you experienced a problem, but it's literally either you're code emailing people or code outreaching to people, which most people don't really care about, or sort of like just hoping to just tap in your networks to get more referrals, which is actually going to give you like the same kind of people all over again, like tap in like to their own friends. And usually the same kind of people just get covered so much. And it's like, there's so many other people doing really interesting things that are not in your network that you should hear from or they have interesting insights to be sharing. So we're like, okay, so first time we met, we spoke for three hours straight. We're just chatting. We didn't, I didn't expect to last that long. We're just going to be like, um, I thought it was going to be like a 30 minute high hello meeting, but we actually <laughs> talked about the problems so much that we actually decided to stay in touch. And yeah, I just went back to school and just kept staying in touch and just doing, just going around, just talking to people and seeing if there's an actual problem we're trying to solve. And we spoke to a couple of journalists, we spoke to a couple of podcasters and event people. And yeah, we realized that this is actually a thing where like they're all just trying to increase diversity in what they're trying to like do. For example, the number of writers are looking to increase diversity with their their articles and podcasts and all that but then it's like there's no easy way of doing it and we're like there's so many people who are doing really interesting things but if there's no issue of people who are looking to connect with such people and people also looking to connect with other people it's like we have to sort of like create that symbiotic relationship on our platform so i make it super easy by matching them together and just helping them find each other and get value from both sides Okay. Okay. Got it. So, and did you start your company during school, but you and your partner graduated and you launched your company or what was that journey like for you? So my co-founder is not, I mean, she was not a student at that time. She was already working. She was working for about a couple of years, like four or five years before we met. So she's actually been in industry for a while now. Okay. So what happened was once we met, we started talking. So we didn't actually think of doing any company first, first off. What we did was we literally got to know each other. We hang out. I did things. I went to, for, to a place for Thanksgiving. We sort of like test run a test drive, drove it like a Tesla. We went to art museum. We're just trying to get it to know each other. If this is actually a thing, if we actually can work together. But yeah, so that's what we spent a couple of months doing, like almost a year doing. And once we were sure that we could work together, we sort of like, we incorporated the company and decided to keep talking to people and start seeing what the market demand looks like. Once I think graduated after my second master's degree, then we said, okay, so now we're, we have to actually make this a thing now because we've learned so much about the market. And so what happened was we put together like an MVP and, and with the current version of the platform and we launched that in June of 2020 in a pandemic, of course. Um, yeah. But that was, that was pretty interesting. What's an MVP? 
So with a minimum viable product, when you don't you don't build the full product, you so like build prototype. You just yeah, build like a prototype. Just put a few things together to see if people actually want what you're building before you actually build the real thing. You don't want to overbuild and come uh-huh. to the market and see that okay, so no one actually wants to use it because you, you just spend like a lot of months building for nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Richard, how old were you when you came to the United States to study? I was like 22. 22. And then how old were you when you launched LSX? When we launched it or when we incorporated it, because there are two different times. Okay, when you incorporated. That was in June of 2019. So how old was I? I was like 23. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you were a baby. You're still a baby. (laughs) That's that's a good thing. (laughs) No, that is absolutely awesome to see some young, powerful entrepreneurs to go out there and just completely rock the industries. First of all, I just have to say I am on LSX and I just so happen to absolutely love the platform. I've told you this before. I'll say it again that I love, love how there's no noise. There's not extra noise popping up while I'm in the platform, while I'm connecting with other immigrant entrepreneurs and collaborating and versus where it's Facebook. You have so much going on on Facebook, Instagram, same thing. There's so many ads, even if you're not even looking for them. Like even if you're not following people, I notice that you still get ads for whatever reason. So I absolutely love the innovation behind the platform. It's so, so easy to use, so simple, and it doesn't complicate things. But LSX is so, so simple to use and just gets to the point. So tell me, you guys have a free version, but you guys also have a version for $99 a month for startups and then there's an enterprise version. So tell me what the differences are between all those. Before I get to that, I want to talk about yeah. um, the current situation with how people find each other. So right now we have like Facebook, you have Twitter, you have all these channels, you have networking events, you have what email intros, all of these things are super inefficient. If you look at them, they are very prone to noise and also prone to extreme bias in the sense because of the fact that these groups are always trying to like influence each other and all that stuff. So what we're trying to do is create like an on Badly, where we connect creators who are looking, creators slash media folks who are looking for setting kind of expertise or setting kind of insights from setting industries. And we want to be able to connect them in a way that is super targeted based on what you're looking for and not based on who you know kind of thing. Because, I mean, the who you know factor is nice and all, but if you think about it, it's sort of like marginalizes so many talented people around the world. And we need to create a platform or we need to create a society where anyone, irrespective of who they know, can actually connect with opportunities to based on what they're working on so for example if you're a scientist and you're based in let's say somewhere in colombia and you have this come up with this breakthrough innovation you've come up with a product i mean you have something that is insightful but then you don't have any connections in the u.s or like in the uk or like anywhere in the world like i mean the middle east i don't know but you don't have any connections and you don't have any way of amplifying what you've created and letting more people know about it i mean we want to be that platform you come to so they can help amplify your the the, the word about what you come up with the innovative insight and also when it comes to creators who are actually starting out right so right now how you look at if you look at creators right now it's more like skewed towards those who already have good networks and those who have good reputations and brandings already mm-hmm. for example if someone who already has a brand like maybe if kim kardashian started a podcast of course she's going to have a lot of listeners in the same yeah. timing she's going to Even have like she's talking about garbage <laughs> exactly and there are so many people who have really interesting ways of seeing different topics and they're also looking for people to interview people to talk to about different insights 
sites. And these guys have to also do so much hard work to find the people they want and actually get people to even want to come to the podcast or newsletters in the first place. And we want to be able to connect these people to the right people, the people who we've sort of like pivoted, these people who are actually doing something really impactful and meaningful. We want to be able to connect them so that then you can generate like starting from absolute zero. Because right now mm-hmm. it starts that we sort of like have like a criteria, but then we also want to make sure that it's open to the point that we can, we can actually support creators so they can actually keep doing the amazing work or doing what that is telling stories or writing interesting articles. Mm-hmm. Um, they can keep getting access to people who they are looking for. For example, you do immigrant entrepreneurs so we can keep getting you amazing immigrant entrepreneurs who are really impactful and who are doing really cool things. And you can just keep telling those stories and mm-hmm. building the brand and building, amplifying the message around immigration and how it's beneficial for the world. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's get into the different platforms that you have, the startups, the enterprise, yeah. and the free version. <laughs> yeah. no, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I totally appreciate it. Yeah. So basically, the platform is free for media and event people. So podcasters, writers, event planners can use our platform for free as a stand now. We're actually thinking of, we have plans on monetizing it about in the future. And we're actually more focused on getting more people who like podcasts and connecting them with the right people. For startups, mm-hmm. it's $99 a month where they connect with as many as many creators and as many opportunities on our platform as possible. We've actually kept that around like three opportunities, but then we're still like learning um, the number of opportunities that come in place. But on the average, we get startups connected with at least two or three opportunities per month. For startups, the $99 gives them access to a whole team. So instead of having just one person come on it and representing your startup, we actually have it such that once you're on a platform, you get to invite your team members, whether it's your head of marketing or CTO or VP of engineering. Like we actually mm-hmm. want to do it in such a way that yeah, you have a lot of people on our platform. So that the opportunities as they come in, you can actually leverage those opportunities and connect with the ones based on the roles you're having because we're seeing opportunities that are sort of like role-based. For example, we've seen like um, CTO kind of podcast related to so CTOs of the future. And if you want to tap into such CTOs, we don't really care about the industry. That's That podcaster doesn't really care about the industry per se. You just care about the fact that you're a CTO and you're doing something pretty cool. And we want to be able to connect you to them. So it's for teams and we want to connect them um, with opportunities to tell their stories and amplify their message. On the enterprise package, yeah, we're actually seeing a lot of interest from bigger companies. So we actually saw this year alone, we've seen a number of requests from companies that are Series B, Series A, who've raised millions of dollars, mm. who are actually going to go public in the public markets. We're excited mm-hmm. about what we're working on. Um, so basically, the idea there is we're just trying to see, I mean, capture that demand and understand it properly. And we actually have a couple of conversations going on with huge enterprises that are willing to sign so like big deals with us on getting on a platform and using it. So how many people do you guys have on this platform so far? So we have about 100 startups on a platform. And that is just startups. And okay. we have around like 250 startups also on the wait list looking to join. Wow. Um, we have, yeah, we're trying to like manage stuff. We don't want to do it. <laughs> we're trying to like not overdo ourselves because we're just a team of two assistants. We'll open it up once we, like the only thing is we don't want to overdo it. So the good, we're trying to like, um, sort of like grow steadily because right now we're a team of two and if we grow too fast, it'll be so like unsustainable for my cohort and I to yeah. handle the demand. So we're trying to sort of, we're actually currently in talking to a couple of investors and we're seeing if we can get things moving so we can increase the team and move a lot faster. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So basically that's on the startup side and we have about around 60 media slash events, no, no, around 60 media folks that is podcasts as writers and we also have like 40 event people on the platform from places like HubSpot, uh, Startup Grind, Harvard, MIT, all of them using it on the event side. And on the creator side, we have a couple of, on the writer side, we have TechCrunch using it. We have Business Insider using it. We have creators like yourself, amazing creators like yourself using it, podcasters. Yeah. So we have a couple of, 
influential people on the platform. But yeah, we're just trying to like so like grow steadily so we don't have to like have to strip spread ourselves too thin. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I am ex- I am expecting some powerful successes coming your way. So you're gonna have to keep me up to date, Richard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell me, how long did it take your business to start seeing some real attraction in the beginning stages? When you launched your website, when you got this in the market, did you have people immediately sign up to your platform? Yeah, the good thing about what we did was that we actually... Before we actually created the product, we actually spoke to a number of people. So once we had the product live, we actually went back to them like, okay, so the product like, you want to come and use it and check it out? And most of them just literally came back to try it out. We actually had our first paying user like like two months after we launched the beta. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've actually had people who have been willing to pay for what we're doing for the longest time. We're just trying to like sort of be sure that we can actually like manage the number of people who want to use a platform and get the lot stuff going really fast. Okay, that's pretty fast. So whatever you did, the market research and networking and getting yourself out there actually worked. So that's awesome to hear. So what about raising capital? I know you're mentioning that you guys are looking for investors right now, but did you raise any capital before you started LSX? Nope. We've been fully bootstrapped up to this point. Yeah. I mean, bootstrapped by bootstrap. I mean, we've not really spent any outside capital. We haven't actually spent anything on marketing, zero dollars on marketing. Uh-huh. And yeah, we've sort of like organically had a lot of people interested in what we're building because they can see the huge potential and has going to like change things. So I'm really interested now about the marketing piece because a lot of people are pushing Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, Instagram ads, LinkedIn ads. There's so many ads out there, but you guys have done absolutely no marketing. How did you do that? Did you network constantly and just spread your word out there? How did you get yourself out there known? Yeah, we actually tested a number of things. We actually haven't spent anything on ads. We tried partnerships. We tried paid, we tried not paid ads, but we tried partnerships, we tried content marketing, and we also tried um, referrals. So one of our biggest sources of users last year was referrals from other users on our platform, literally. So they liked it so much they were referring other people to use the platform, which is why we had to put on that point of view. Um, when it comes to the partnerships, we actually heavily, so like building our pipeline and building like the laying down a strong foundation for growth. So we actually have partnership with OnDeck, partnership with um, Anthemis, partnership with, like we're offered as a perk in Harvard iLab. Mm-hmm. We offer that as a perk in Techstars. So we actually have a couple of these relationships going to so like shuffle startups to us. I think Founders Lab is one. So there are a couple of them, Bombilo, which is a social impact entrepreneurship and social impact um, accelerator. So we have a number of them on the startup side. So basically for us, it's relatively easy to get startups to come on our platform. When it came to getting a lot of creators to come on our platform and slash media folks, um, that's primarily through networking and getting meet a lot of people. But from what we're seeing, the ones who really like us refer other people or spread the word within their communities and people come into that. So yeah, we're seeing a lot of interest primarily as it stands now. We are looking forward to sort of like amplifying that and building a more like sustainable channel so that we can actually get a lot of people come to the platform without spending so much. Because if you think about it, companies like Tesla and like Salesforce and mm-hmm. I mean, some of them don't really have never really spent a lot of marketing. They just literally sort of like build something and get a lot of people talking about it and from that they can actually grow from that and we believe the future is going to be more team members within companies and people talking about your brand and that's how you're going to generate a lot of impressions so it's not really ads ads are fine and all if you want to like so sort of like get like a fast thing going but if you think yeah. about it in the long run you sort of like need to actually build your pipeline irrespective of ads 
Yes. And that's only because you are building and creating an amazing product or an amazing service. That is the quality of work that speaks volumes. And that is when you don't really need to be doing a lot of Facebook ads. And although there's nothing wrong with it, but there's Mm -hmm. something definitely so precious when you are creating and building something that is so, so full of quality. Yes, you guys are very lucky and very blessed because marketing is really expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the biggest expenses in most companies. And I mean, it shouldn't be so. Right, right, yeah. right. So Richard, did you have any mentors that helped you out to start any of your businesses from startup number one to startup number four? Mm, not really. <laughs> Just you did this all by yourself, Richard, <laughs> yeah. at 18 years old up until 22. <laughs> yeah, just reading books and watching, I mean, reading biographies and trying to understand what's different. Just trying to get a lot of knowledge. I mean, I look up to some people like, um, I think what Steve Jobs did with Apple was amazing. Uh-huh. And Elon is doing Tesla. But yeah. it's more like, I just try to understand like the first principles, reasons behind why, what it did actually work. Because there are a number of factors if you look at it, right? So most people just say, okay, so let's say, Elon did this and he did that and did that. So it means I can do this and do that and do that and I'll get the same outcome. It's not really true. It's more like Elon did this at this particular time, in this particular location. Right. And it worked out. He did this at this particular time, in this particular location, at this particular um, environment. So there are so many factors that come into place. Most people don't really account for, but like if you think about entrepreneurship fundamentally, there's a lot of luck involved. Um, There's a lot of just perseverance involved because you have a lot of people I mean, in the beginning, particularly say like, this is not going to work out and haters and all that stuff. But you just have to sort of like believe in the mission, believe in what you're trying to accomplish. And with what we're doing, I'm super excited about waking up every day to do it because of the fact that I know what it feels like to always be sort of like at a loss because of the fact that you don't have direct connections to sort of like better the world. You have a really good idea. You have a really good product. You have people using it, but you don't have any challenge. You don't have any network. You don't have any people to help you amplify that. And that is not just a like a Ghanaian problem. It's like a problem across the world. You have people who mm-hmm. are not in a particular location. You have people who are not born into the right families. You have people who are um, not who didn't go to that school. But then they are really smart people. And we believe that those people also deserve a voice. And they should actually, I mean, get out there and get more people to hear about what they're doing. And same thing applies to creators. There are creators who are actually talking about really important topics and then they don't have access to other people who are willing to share those insights with them. And we believe that innovators should succeed no matter where they come from. Yes. And I want to hone in on what you said about just reading books and getting your knowledge from books and researching and networking is really all what you need to start a business or to start a startup. A lot of people think that they need, you know, to pay thousands and thousands of dollars of programs and, you know, courses and all that. But really, I hear it many times. You, other people, hey, I just picked up a couple of books and or I just went to Google to see how to start a coffee shop. And, you know, I just went out and did it. So it's amazing to hear that immigrants, you really don't need a whole lot of you know, resources to, to start a company, all you can do is use what you have, which is what Richard said. He read a couple of books at 18 years old, started his first company, got his his experience and just moved forward. So I just wanted to hone in and encourage people that, Hey, you really don't need a whole lot. You can start now. (laughs) Yep. 
So tell me, how do you reinvest in yourself to keep up to date with your industry? So I know you're reading books. Are you on any news media channels on a daily basis? Or how do you get your focus on what you're doing and to continue to innovate? It's it's more about knowing what is happening in, in the industry. It's not really about just the industry, but it's more like broadly seeing how things are happening. Because, I mean, to be able to innovate in a particular space, you know, industries are not like siloed. Every industry is sort of like interrelates with other industries. So what I do is pretty much read a number of newsletters, just reading newsletters, reading the news, trying to figure out. And by, by the news, I mean like Bloomberg and business news, but basically mm-hmm. just trying to like, occasionally just trying to see, see what's happening in the market and what's things looking like on a macro level, not just micro, like based on my industry, but like what is what is the next five to 10 years going to look like based on what I can see so far? And is it does it hold true like this week? Does it hold true the next week, what I'm thinking? Like stuff mm-hmm. like that. You just have to learn where people are going, particularly what happened with COVID and remote work. I mean, that was a trend that started with COVID, but you also have to look broadly once everything starts reopening. Is this something that is actually going to still be happening? But we're seeing a lot of signs that shows that, I mean, employees actually really like um, hybrid office where they want to be able to go to work. I mean, meet people in the office at times and actually would work from home when they need to do that on time. So it's more like mm-hmm. stepping out of the industry, particularly when it comes to marketing. There are a lot of people who are still using ads. There are a lot more people who are I mean, marketing authentically. We call what we do authentic marketing. So there are a number of people who are creating their own blogs. But if you look on the onset, there's this huge trend towards being authentic because we've seen that everybody online is trying to be like have this sort of like filter. But once you're authentic, that's when you have a chance or a shot at being getting getting the attention you need because a lot of people are not authentic to who they are. So, but exactly what we call what we, what we are doing authentic marketing because by connecting a lot of startup teams, people to other channels, so they can actually share their thoughts on setting topics in authentic fashion. We believe that that's the future of marketing and it's not going to be based on just trying to like put people in, like trying to be a different person than who you actually are. Just be yourself and talk about what you see in the future and that should be good. So, so powerfully. Well, well said. Thank you so much for sharing that, Richard. And I wanted to switch gears and talk about mistakes or failures because I love talking about, you know, the not the not so glorious work or experiences from our from our journey. So mm-hmm. is there a story behind some of the mistakes that you have made or some failures that you've, you know, gone through that you can share with us that you where you received a positive outcome? So I know you've got three other startups that you started and launched, started and launched, and you kept on going. <laughs> where is that drive coming from? And how do you deal with mistakes or failures? Yeah, I, th- I think failure is inevitable if you want to like innovate, right? It's one of those things you have to be ready for if you want to do something different particularly for me when it comes to failures I think in the beginning some of the startups that I did wasn't just because of the fact that we had a good idea but I actually just jumped in because of the fact that I had good co-founders and all but I think one of the biggest lessons from some of the startups is that you don't just have a co-founder relationship because someone is good at coding and someone is good at marketing and you just have the skill sets and you complement your other skill sets no that is that's the bare minimum you could do if you're actually going to have a strong co-founder relationship and you, mm-hmm. before you actually find someone you're actually going to say, okay, I'm going to start a company with this person. You should actually get to know this person because if the person sort of like, if it gets to a point where it becomes really hard, you want to be able to lean on this person or vice versa. And you cannot 
um, do that when you don't really know this person as a friend or you kind of really trust that this person is going to stick around when they go and get stuff. And I think something that happened one of my some of my previous startups that like it gets to the hard part and like everyone is sort of like, yeah, I mean, this is harder than we thought. And it's always going to be harder than you think, right? Sometimes people right. think the idea, <laughs> the idea is just simple. You have a cool idea. It's just going to build it. And all of a sudden you have a lot of people just coming to use it. No, I mean, that that is like almost impossible. That's very, very rare. And so that was highly correlated to how much influence you have. For example, I mentioned like if someone with influence, like let's say, let me Elon Musk say he's trying to like do a new setup. Of course, he's going to get a lot of people use it because he's Elon right. Musk, but the average person doesn't have that. So you have to factor in the fact that, think about the fact that it's going to take time that things aren't going to work out almost immediately. But as long as you have a vision, you have an idea of what you want to see in the future, just stick with it because that's something I've done. Focus on the people you're working with. These people you want to hang out with to the tough times and to the good times. And if they are the same people you want to keep working with, I mean, think about the idea and just keep learning from users and just keep creating something meaningful. Yeah. So how do we get Elon Musk on your platform? <laughs> oh, I don't know. You let me know. If you can figure that out, let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm trying to get him on my podcast too. <laughs> so I say we work together, Richard. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what we can do about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Richard. So what does the American dream mean to you? Well, the American dream, I mean, to me, it means the ability to not be constrained by, again, your background. Because again, if you think about the U.S., the evolution of the U.S., a lot of people migrated from Europe, um, from various parts of the world to the U.S. And they came here with the idea of the fact, I mean, the vision or the dream of being able to start a new life and create a better life for their families. Mm -hmm. And for me, the American dream is having access to um, that, so like that mindset of being able to come to a country or move into a new place, knowing that um, you now have a lot more opportunity, a lot more resources, a lot more people out there who are willing to support your ideas and your your hustle. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's the ability to go out there and uh, make things happen, irrespective of all the obstacles you face, because they'll always face a lot of obstacles. But yeah, just keep pushing and keep moving forward, irrespective of anything that shows up in front of you. There are so, so many opportunities in America and this platform just shows that, you know, your connection to people worldwide, your connection through what you've done in LSX speaks volumes that you can do anything in America. And although one thing didn't work out, keep on going forward and pushing forward because America is filled with information, wealth of information and resources. So mm -hmm. Richard, what would you advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business? I mean, one thing you should take into account is of this immigration. <laughs> that is a very yeah. key factor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I say like, don't, I mean, most people come here and it's like, I think some people have cultural shocks. Everything is so different from where they came from, but just sort of like leaning to it. And I mean, your ideas are really valuable. I mean, because I mean, the fact that you're an immigrant actually makes you unique in a sense because you're actually able to see things differently and think differently. And I think it's something most people need to hone into and actually tap into that diverse point of view and actually create something meaningful that is going to sort of like be impactful to their society or their community or their world. Because again, I mean, it's actually a superpower to be an immigrant in the U.S., anywhere in the world. So like yes. you should own it. Yes, absolutely. 
All right, Richard. Well, hey, thank you so, so much for coming on the Emigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast. I truly appreciate you coming on and I'm so excited to see what's going to be up and coming for you at LSX. Thank you so much for creating such a revolutionary product out there and for everyone to tap into. I'm going to leave the links down below in the show notes. And Richard, thank you so much. I wish you all the best of successes. Thanks, Alina. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If there are any links that were mentioned in this episode, make sure to check them out on my website under this episode to find all the links conveniently located in the show notes. I just wanted to ask for a quick favor. If you could please leave a review wherever you're at listening to this podcast. Also, if you're an immigrant entrepreneur and would love to be on my podcast, please email me and we'll get connected. I'll see you guys all next time for another exciting and impactful episode. Take care.